Good morning. Hey, my name is Kevin, and I am the Groups and Disciple Making Pastor. I am so excited to have the kids in the room today. Can we just, can we just celebrate the kids that are in the room today? Yes. I love that. I'm excited to see you all in here and glad you're here with us. Hey, how many of you all are familiar with the social media account Humans of New York? Humans of New York. Have you ever heard this? Oh, okay, good. I had never heard of it until this week. But uh, I did a little homework, and Brandon Stanton, Brandon Stanton is a photographer in New York City. And a few years ago, Brandon started a project where his goal was to photograph 10,000 New Yorkers. He wanted to photograph their face and put it in a kind of a catalog, if you will. But soon after he started, the project became much more than just a photography project because he started doing some short interviews with the people that he was photographing. He would simply ask them one or two basic questions, but he would ask them very personal questions. He would ask them questions about their struggles or about their disappointments. What is your greatest disappointment in life would be a question he might ask someone. What is your greatest hope in life? Well, as people started to share with Brandon, he found their answers and their stories so compelling that he wanted to include their story along with their photograph. And so eventually, uh, he started a blog to document these people and their life stories. And humans of the, the Humans of the New York uh, social media account now has over 20 million followers on social media. It's actually expanded to over 20 countries around the world. He wrote a book about it. It became the number one New York. Uh, it came number one on New York on the New York Times bestsellers list. Now, why is this book and why is this project of Stanton's compelling to so many people? I think it's because in their stories, people see themselves. In their struggles or in their disappointments, in their hopes and dreams, people see glimpses of their own struggles and disappointments, their own hopes and dreams. And so those shared experiences that we have with each other connects us all as humans. Today we're starting a new series called Humans of the Bible. And we want to look at some of the real-life people represented in the Old and the New Testament. We want to listen to their life story, and we want to learn from them. And so we're going to spend the next eight weeks, we're going to spend the rest of the summer looking at eight different real people in the Bible. And we're going to look at their real stories. The people in the Bible are not characters in a fictional storybook. They're real. They really lived, and they had real stories. They lived in real time and real space. And they were like us. They were real humans. And our hope is that in this series, as we look at these eight different people, real humans like us, that we can learn from them. And we can learn from their successes and failures, and we can gain some wisdom from the lessons they learned in their life. The first person we're going to look at is Moses. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up, up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Kids, there are some adventure Bibles in the room also around you, uh, under the chairs. If you want to grab one of the adventure Bibles, you can turn to page 203 in the adventure Bible, 203. And as you all turn there, I'm going to pray, and just would love for you to join me and, and pray with me. Will you pray with me? Father, thanks for today. Your word says that every day is the day that you've created it. And uh, today is the day that you have made we want to rejoice and be glad in it. And Father, I trust that everybody that's here this morning is here for a reason. I trust, God, that you have something to say to all of us. Father, I pray that you would encourage our hearts over the next half hour as we open up your word 
as we look at Moses. Would you help us? Would you help us learn from Moses? Uh, would you correct us? Would you encourage us? And uh, help, us, help us learn what it is you want us to learn today. I pray most of all, Jesus, that you're glorified. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So Moses', sto Moses story starts with the story of the Israelites being enslaved by the Egyptians. And so the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, are slaves in Egypt. Okay? And Moses is born... And he is a, he's a Hebrew. He's an Israelite. He's born to a, a Hebrew woman. But a few months after his birth, his mom puts him up for adoption because the Egyptians were killing all of the newborn baby boys. And so his mom puts him up for adoption. And the, by God's grace, here's what happens. The king of Egypt, his daughter, adopts Moses. And only by God's grace, after the king's daughter adopts Moses as, his, uh, as her own baby, then she goes back to Moses' mom and hires Moses' mom to help raise him. And so Moses is royalty and uh, a, a slave. He, his mom, and uh, his, his adopted mom is, is the daughter of the king, and so he grows up in royalty. But his, his real mom and his real family are Israelites and slaves, and so he grows up with this dual identity, if you will. Well, one day, as an adult, Moses is out in the fields, and he sees an Egyptian beating up an Israelite, one of his people, and this angers Moses. Kids, have you ever seen, have you ever watched one kid bully another kid? Doesn't that make you feel angry? Maybe you've been on the receiving end of a kid bullying you. Isn't that an awful feeling? And you feel so sad and you feel angry, and you feel frustrated, and this is what Moses felt. And so Moses has this overwhelming sense of anger, and he wants to step in, and he wants to stop the bullying. And so he steps in, and he tries to stop it, but then here's what happens. He accidentally ends up killing the bully. His anger gets out of control, and he hurts this person that was bullying the Israelite. And Moses shouldn't have done that. Moses should not have done that. He should not have let his anger get out of control. He did something immediately he knew was wrong. Listen, it's okay to defend someone, kids. It's not okay to hurt someone else. And so Moses knew that he had messed up really bad. Immediately he knew he messed up really bad. And just like Adam and Eve did when they sinned and they messed up, Moses ran away and hid because he felt so ashamed of what he had done. Kids, do you ever, you ever do something that you know you shouldn't do? Some, you do something that's wrong and you're afraid you're going to get in trouble, how do you respond? Don't you want to hide that? Don't you want to hide the fact that you've done something wrong and you don't want your parents to figure it out? Don't do that. <laughs> don't hide your mistakes. We can't hide from God. God sees everything. Well, Moses tried to hide from God, and so Moses runs away to a new city, and he basically hides for the next 40 years. But God knows where he's at, and eventually God comes to confront Moses, and he finds Moses. Now, how does God approach Moses? He approaches Moses in a burning bush. Get this. Moses one day is walking, and he looks over, and he sees this bush, and it's on fire. And he goes over to see this bush that is burning, but it's not, kinda, it's not being consumed. It's just a fire in the bush. And all of a sudden, God starts speaking to Moses. He starts speaking to him, and that fire represented the presence of God. And God starts speaking to Moses, and he says to Moses, Moses, I want to rescue my people over in Egypt, and I want, you to, I want to use you to do it. Moses had to be thinking, 
Me? Why me? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know I've been hiding for 40 years? Moses must have been thinking and feeling, gosh, God wants to use me? How does, why does he want to use me? I really messed up. Oftentimes, we let our lives, we let our lives be defined by our failures and our shortcomings. And we think, after what I've done, how could God use me? I've lied, I've cheated, I've stolen, I've let people down, I've made bad decisions, I've really messed up. There's no way God would want a relationship with me or much, or, or, or even use me. I was talking to a young man named Scotty a few weeks ago about a, having a relationship with God, and I told Scotty that Jesus wants to forgive all of his sins and his failures. And Scotty's first response to me was, oh, but there's some sins, there's some sins I've, I've committed that I know God can't forgive me for. Maybe you feel like Scotty sometimes. Maybe you feel like Moses. You feel ashamed of what you've done and you think, how could you use me? Psalm 103. Let's read this. Psalm 103 says this. Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives some of your sins? Is that what that says? Kids, is that what that says? Does it say forgive some of your sins, kids? Kids, what does that say? Forgive what? All of your sins. God can forgive all of your sins, and he heals all of your diseases, diseases, and he redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfy your desires with good things so that your, your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. This is the God that Moses experienced. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sins, our transgressions from us. Maybe today you're sitting here and you need to hear that the Lord God can forgive all of your sins. That your heavenly father wants to redeem your life and your mistakes. Maybe today you need to learn the truth. Like Moses learned that the Lord is compassionate and he's gracious. That he's slow to anger and that he's abounding in love. And that for those who put their faith and trust in Christ and what Christ did for us on the cross. That God has removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. And he can not only, res- he can not only uh, uh, forgive all of your sins but that, that God wants to use you. Your sins can be forgiven, but you can also be used by God to do amazing things. This is what Moses learns. And so Moses obeys God, and he goes back to Egypt to rescue the Israelites. And Moses is going to see God do some amazing things, right? I mean amazing things. God sends these ten plagues on the Egyptians, okay? One of the plagues was frogs. Kids, could you imagine this room being filled with like thousands of frogs? Or how about this? What if you went outside today and there were just frogs raining down all over you? What if you went home and in your front yard you got out of your car and you had to walk to the front door and you stepped on frogs everywhere? Wouldn't that be kind of nasty? Who wants that? And then he sent more than just frogs. He also sent flies and he sent gnats and he sent all of these plagues on these people. Now, he was doing that because he was trying to prove to them that he was God and that he could do anything. And he wanted to rescue his people from slavery. And so eventually, Pharaoh does give in. 
and he lets the Israelites go. But on their way out of Egypt, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he changes his mind, and he tries to chase them down. And so now the Israelites are out, and they've left Egypt, but they back up to the sea, this giant sea, and there's nowhere to turn. They can't go left, they can't go right, and the Egyptians are now sending their armies after them, and they're trapped up against the sea. And they think, oh, no, what have we done? What have we done? And Moses is sitting there, got to be thinking, oh, Lord, you, I, thought, I thought I was doing exactly what you told me to do. What, what do I do now? What do I do now? And then God does the miraculous. God steps in, and he splits the sea. Kids, he split the sea. Can you believe this? Could you imagine, like, going to the lake, and all of a sudden the lake just parting? And then you just walk across the lake? You wouldn't have... You wouldn't even have to swim? Wouldn't that be cool? So that's what God did for the Israelites. He parted the sea, and they just walked right through it. And they got freed from the Egyptians. And now they didn't have to worry about the Egyptians anymore. And they went out into this desert, okay? And God promises that he wants to lead them to this really cool place, this amazing land. And he promises to give them this amazing country for them to live in. But they end up disobeying God. <sighs> And because of their lack of faith and their lack of trust and because of their disobedience, God says, I have to discipline you. I have to discipline you. So here's your discipline. Here's the consequences of your disobedience. Kids, there's always consequences to disobedience. And God makes them spend 40 years wandering around, camping out in the desert. And in that 40-year period, they, again, they experience all kinds of crazy stuff, stuff. One of the things they experienced, one of the things that Moses experienced is that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments while he was out there. And, God, and Moses goes up on this mountain, and God comes down, and he speaks to Moses, and he tells Moses, Moses, here are the Ten Commandments. Here are the ten rules I want my people to live by. But here's the thing. While Moses is up there getting the Ten Commandments from God, the Israelite people get really impatient. And they decide, they have this weird idea. They decide they're going to build and make a cow out of gold. And they're going to start worshiping this cow out of gold. What? Does that, have you ever, has anybody ever seen a golden cow? Neither have I. Wouldn't that be weird? What a weird thing to do. Well, this doesn't go over well with God. God doesn't like that because God wants to be worshipped in him alone. He doesn't want them making like false gods, pretend gods. He says, no, worship me. And so he doesn't like that. It gets him upset. And Moses has to deal with that. And oh, by the way, kids, this is, this is a kid, kid, kid question. Kids, uh, where, do you, where do you find and where do you keep golden cows? Anybody know? How about the golden corral? Hey, oh, there we go. Dad joke. All right. Take that home and use that one. I'm as embarrassed by it as you are. Okay. Mo Moses and the Israelites. Okay, so let's fast forward. Let's fast forward to the very end of Moses' life. Okay? Let's go to the end of Moses' life. This is where Deuteronomy picks up. Moses is at the end of his life. He's going to give one last message to the Israelites. He's going to preach one more message. He's at the end of his life. And he's looking back on his life. And the 40 years of hiding from God. And then the 40 years of, of, of following God and leading God's people. And he's going to summarize for the Israelites one last message. He's going to try to teach them the lessons that he wants to leave them with. And I think there are lessons that we can learn from. Let's pick up Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 1. He says, these are the commands and decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you 
to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Let's pause right there. I want to draw your attention, everybody. No, put that back up there, uh, Jimmy, uh, Mickey. Okay, I want to draw your attention to this phrase. These are the commands and decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you. Look at that phrase, the Lord your God directed me to teach you. The Lord your God directed me to teach you. Moses was a man directed by God. Moses was a man who was directed by God, but it wasn't always the case, was it? Right? He had spent 40 years hiding from God, but God pursued Moses, and Moses turned things around, and Moses became a man who was directed by God. Maybe, maybe like Moses, you haven't always been directed by God. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you say, you know what? God has not always directed my life. Maybe you need to learn that from Moses, that, that you can turn it around, and you can start following God and his plans for your life. I want you to know this morning, it's never too late. It's never too late to follow God. God may not pursue you with a burning bush, but God may be putting some people in your life to point you to Jesus. God may not try to get your attention with a burning bush, but God may be using the circumstances of your life today to get your attention. And why? Well, because, like Moses, God has some good plans for you. But the first thing you need to do is to seek God with all of your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Kids, I want you to know something today. I want you to know that if you seek God with all of your heart, you're going to find him. And kids, so many of your friends are not going to seek God. They're going to seek the things of this world. They're going to seek popularity. They're going to seek acceptance. You be like Moses, and you seek God with all of your heart. Okay, let's look back at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. These are the commands and decrees of the laws of the Lord of God direct me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan River to possess, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful. Uh, hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. It's really hard to read and think at the same time. Okay. Um, Moses says, I want you and your children to, to keep God's commands, to be careful to obey God. And the reason why I want you to obey God and his word is that so you may enjoy life and it may go well with you and may, you may have a fruitful life. Listen, one of the key lessons that Moses clearly learned throughout his life was that obeying God was always better than not obeying God. He witnessed firsthand the negative and the destructive consequences of disobedience. Kids, a life of disobedience, a life of rebellion against your parents, against your teachers and coaches, and most of all against God, is not going to work out in your favor. You need to know that. Our culture, kids, will tell you to rebel. In fact, I saw a slogan yesterday on a pizza company that said, eat, sleep, and rebel. What does rebelling have to do with pizza? But you know what? The more I thought about it, I thought, you know what? That's right. It's exactly right. Rebelling is a lot like eating pizza. It sure seems satisfying while you're eating it. It goes down pretty well, but a little bit later you think, man, I shouldn't have eaten that pizza. And you get heartburn and indigestion, and that may have to do more with my age than anything, but... Anyways, a life of rebellion and disobedience will not end up being good for you. The truth is, obedience is good for you, kids. 
God's commands are designed to protect us and to take care of us. Your parents, when they give you rules to follow, they're trying to protect you. They don't want to harm you. Following God's commands is not burdensome. 1 John 5, 3 says this, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. This is love for God, to keep his commands. At some point in the last year or two, you probably heard us say that obedience is God's love language. We express our love for God by trusting and obeying his commands. In fact, right after Moses says, be careful to keep and obey God's commands, look at what he says. Uh, let's go to the next verse four. Uh, next one. Uh, verse four. Where's four? Where's six? Deuteronomy six four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Right after Moses says, obey, be careful to obey all my commands, he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Moses eventually, this is, this is what Jesus would eventually call the greatest commandment, to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Another way to say to love God with, is to love God with everything you've got. Love God with everything you got. Kids, love God with everything you've got. It means to be totally devoted to God. It means to be completely devoted to God. It means that the primary preoccupation of your life, parents, the primary preoccupation of your life, the thing that should consume your life the most is love for God. To love God with your, all of your heart means your whole life revolves around God. Our whole solar system revolves around the sun. Does your whole life revolve around loving and following and worshiping God? That's the picture Moses gives us. Jesus called it the greatest commandment. And parents, it's our greatest challenge. It's our greatest challenge. It's our greatest challenge as parents and grandparents. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And he says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and impress them on your children. I want you to notice this. Notice he says here first, these commandments are to be on your hearts. Parents, if you want your children to love God, it starts with you. Do you love God with your whole heart? You must first love God with your whole heart. You must model the way. Moses said these commandments are to be on your hearts first. And then he said, impress them on your children. And as a church family, as a church family, we must invest in the next generation. Parents, again, it starts with us. We we must be the primary disciple makers in the lives of our children. There's no one who has the time, authority, or opportunity to invest in your children like you do. If you're a Christ follower and you still have parents, uh, still have children living in your home, they are your most important disciple-making relationship. And as a church, we can support you, we can equip you, we want to partner with you, but we only get a few hours a week with your kids at best. You get the other 166 hours a week. You have a tremendous opportunity to influence your children and your grandchildren for generations to come. Now, if you're not a parent, Moses is still speaking to you. Because no matter what age, uh, no matter what stage of life you're in, there's a generation of people behind you that needs you. People who need your wisdom, need your knowledge that can benefit from the lessons you've learned. For example, if you're 60 and over, I want to talk to you for a minute. If you're 60 and over, I want to talk to you. There is a group of 30, 40, and 50-year-olds behind you who are raising kids, parenting teens, facing challenges in their marriage and in their careers, and they need your help. 
There's a generation that needs to hear, how did you love the Lord your God while trying to raise kids and hold down a job and pay a mortgage? We need your help. I'm one of them. If you're 60 and over, I'm going to challenge you. Step up. We need your help. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to prayerfully ask God to help you connect with a few individuals or couples in this church that you can personally build a relationship with in order to encourage and support them. Will you do that? Will you do that? And I want you to do this. I want you to email me if you're willing to do that. You can get on our website and find my email. If you're 16 over and you're willing to spend some of your life, some of your time investing in the next generation and you're not currently doing it, send me an email. We need your help. Now, if you're in your 40s or 50s, there are a good number of 20 and 30-year-olds in our church who've been married less than five years, who are having their first child, and maybe they're single and they're dealing with the challenges of being single and trying to follow the Lord. They need you. 40 and 50-year-olds, please pray and ask God to connect you with one or two individuals or couples. If you're in your 20s or in your early 30s, there are high school students in our church that could benefit from your wisdom. If you're in high school, if you're in high school, you need to know the middle schoolers look up to you. They look up to you, and they're, you've been through the challenges they're now facing, and they need you. Middle schoolers, you listening to me? If you're in middle school, raise your hand. Anybody in middle school? There are some elementary kids in our church that could use your, t your time and your energy, some elementary kids in our church that you could invest in. If you're in middle school, you could, you could consider signing up to serve in Gen Kids to invest in the children in our church. And by the way, if you're an elementary, if you're an elementary school st student, raise your hand. Parents, if they don't know their elementary, point them on the head and tell them. Okay. Kids? <laughs> I just realized that. <laughs> I don't preach to kids a lot. Sorry. Elementary students, you, all, you raise your hand. Listen to me. Listen to me. God wants to use you. Right now, not in the future, right now. Some of your friends don't know who Jesus is. And you can tell them. You can tell them about Jesus. You can tell them that you love Jesus, and you can ask them, has anyone ever told you about Jesus? And you can invite them to church. And you can ask mom and dad to help you. Kids, you can impact other kids right now at your age. Let's be a church family who learns to invest in the next generation no matter what season of life we're in. Now, what does the next generation need? Let me give you a, a few things really quickly as we turn, turn towards home here. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9. Look at verse 6. Let's find verse 6 there. He says, these commandments that I give you today are beyond your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. And bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You know what the next generation needs? This is in your notes if you're keeping notes. Number one, they need the word of God. Boy, they need the word of God. In verse 7, Moses said to impress these commandments on your children. The word, the, the phrase impress them on can also be translated to teach them diligently. Parents. You must teach your children. We must teach our children diligently. We must teach our children the word of God diligently. Are you actively, intentionally teaching God's word to your children? Moses says, talk about them when you sit at home and walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Put them on your hands and put them on your foreheads. Now, does Moses mean that literally? No. What's he trying to say? He's saying, saturate your children's lives in the word of God. 
Moses is saying that if we want our children to love and follow God and want want our children to follow God's plan for for their life, we must saturate their whole life in God's word. Dads, uh, one of my mentors told me this once. I don't do this every night, but I'm trying to get in the habit of it. Dads, bring your Bible to the dinner table. It's a very tangible, specific thing. When you go to dinner tonight, grab your Bible, bring it to the table, set it on the table. Maybe from time to time after dinner, you're going to open it up and you're going to maybe share a passage that you've been personally studying or a lesson you've been learning. Maybe you're going to open that Bible up after dinner's over with and you're going to share a Bible story and you ask your kids some questions. I don't care what age they are. I ask my, my five-and-a-half-year-old, my four-year-old questions about the Bible all the time. They, half the time, they don't know what I'm asking. That's not the point. The point is I want to teach them how to study the Bible. I want them to know that the Bible is our source of authority. The Bible is our source of truth and our source of direction for life as a family. They need to know that. Tell them Bible stories at night before they go to bed. Listen to worship music when you're in the car. Saturate your kids' lives in the Word of God. They're going to need it. The second need we can meet for the next generation, no matter what season of life you're in, is in the need of prayer. Is the need of prayer. The next generation needs our prayers. Number two, they need, they need your prayers. I feel like I should go back to the golden crowd joke. Um, <laughs> most, Moses certainly learned the priority of prayer during the 40 years in the wilderness. He certainly learned the priority of prayer during the 40 years in the wilderness. At one point, a group of people called the Amalekites came and they attacked Moses and the Israelites while they were out wandering in the wilderness. And during that battle, Moses went up on a hill above the battlefield and he held up his hands. And it was a picture of Moses standing in the gap, interceding in prayer on behalf of the Israelites. I want you to look at Exodus 17. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him so he could sit on it. And Aaron and Hur came up under him, and they held his hands up on, each, on, on one side, each on the other. And as long as his hands uh, remained steady and remained up, Joshua was able to overcome the Malachites. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. You think, you think this just wasn't a defining moment in Moses' life? Remember this, Moses, and make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the name of the Malik, uh, uh, Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. He said, because, my, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Malachites from generation to generation. Listen, parents, the greatest weapon you have to fight for your children is prayer. The greatest weapon you have to fight for the next generation is prayer. The Lord is my banner. Moses learned that the most powerful weapon we have to fight for and on behalf of the next generation is the weapon of prayer. Like Moses, we can intercede on behalf of others. We can stand in the gap. The next generation desperately needs our prayers. Parents, one of the most powerful activities you can do is to simply pray for your children by name. If you're in a discipling relationship and you're investing in another man or another woman, the most powerful thing you can probably do for them is to pray for your disciples. Uh, pray for their salvation. Pray for their salvation. Parents, are you praying for your children's salvation? Pray for their salvation. I'm going to give you two biblical prayers. They're two of my favorite prayers. I've given them to you before. Ephesians 1.17, Ephesians 3.18. Two great prayers you can pray for your children. Pray biblical prayers for your children. Don't just pray for their physical protection. Don't just pray for their for blessings on them. Pray biblical prayers. Those prayers are fine. Those prayers are good. But pray biblical prayers for your children. Okay, so we, so we learned from Moses. The next generation needs the word of God. They need our prayers. And number three, they need your time. They need your time. I'm running out of time. Moses understood that. 
Look back at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, look at this. He says, these commandments I give you today are beyond your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and you walk along the road. Listen to this description he's given. When you sit at home, when you walk, walk along, uh, along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. What's he saying? All day, all the time. Your kids are going to need your time. They need your time. It takes time to disciple children. It takes time to disciple people. We invest in people by investing our time in them. Let me ask you this. What does your calendar say about your priorities? And I'm going to say this, and I know I'm gonna, I may step on some, some, some toes with this next statement. But ultimately, I'm responsible for the Lord, not for you. But I need to say this because you're in Hamilton County. Parents, are you trying to raise a professional athlete or the disciple of Jesus? I'll say it again. Are you trying to raise a professional athlete? Is that what your calendar says? Just going from one practice to the next, one sport to the next, season after season, month after month. Are we raising professional athletes? Is that what we're wanting to do? Are we raising disciples of Jesus Christ who are living for the kingdom of heaven? I'm not saying sports are bad. I'm not saying that. Don't, don't hear me wrong. But you need to ask yourself this question. What is your heart motive behind how you're spending your time with your children? You need to prayerfully reflect on that. You need to take your calendar and how you spend your time with your kids, and you need to take it before the Lord, and you need to allow the Lord to direct you and to, and to give you leadership and guidance. You know, you could sum up Moses' life in one verse. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Moses says this, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. That's a pretty good summary of Moses' life. Wouldn't that be a good summary of your life? Wouldn't you like to get to the end of your life? Wouldn't you like your children to be able to be described at the end of their life like that passage did? Wouldn't you love your children to be described like that? Children who loved God who feared the Lord, who walked in obedience to God, who loved him, who served him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the goal. I want to end today by just pointing out that Moses is not our Savior, but Moses point, pointed to our Savior. Moses was a broken person. He was living in a broken world, much like you and I are broken people living in a broken world. But that wasn't God's original plan, and God loved us too much to leave us in our brokenness. He came to rescue us. And the image of God rescuing the Israelites from slavery and bondage is this image of how God wants to rescue us. And how God redeemed Moses' life is how God wants to redeem our lives. And Jesus, put, Jesus came down and he lived a perfect life. And Jesus never disobeyed his heavenly father. He walked in obedience all the days of his life to, to, because he loved his father. And he walked in obedience all the way to the cross. And he died on the cross. He died on the cross to pay for your sins and for mine. And the good news is this. The good news is that if we will turn away from our sin and turn back to God, much the same way Moses did, and if we'll follow God, that we can receive new life, new identity, new purpose, and we can begin following God and his plan for our life. And like Moses, God wants to do amazing things in our lives. If only we'll give him our lives. Maybe today... For the first time, you want to make a decision to follow Jesus and to make him the Lord of your life 
Romans 10, 9 says this, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. If you've never confessed with your mouth Jesus is Lord, but you want to do that today, I'd love for you to come up front after we're over. Band's going to come out. They're going to close us out here in some worship. And after we get done with the services over, you just meet me right up front. Uh, you can just confess with your mouth. I want to confess for the first time, Kevin, that Jesus is Lord. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray for you. If you have any other issues, any other concerns, any other questions, please come ask me. If I say anything that offends you, to come, 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 come talk to me. Uh, or actually, just send Paul, Paul Mumon an email. Um, he won't read it for a few months. But, um, but if, you have any, if, if, you, uh, if I can pray for you, if we can pray for you, our prayer team will be up front. Uh, we'd love to do that. Here, let's, let's close out in prayer. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for loving us, so loving us and, and sending your son Jesus to die on the cross. You rescued Moses and the Israelites, and you've rescued us, Lord. You are such a good father. You're a good father who wants to take care of his children. And like the story of the prodigal son, some, maybe some people in this room have, have ran away from their father. And it's time to come back. Lord, would you lead those people back to you right now? And for the rest of us, will we just be reminded that you're a good father. You're full of love and compassion and your graciousness and you're good. And you have good plans for our lives. We love you, Jesus. We want you to be glorified in our lives and in our families and in this church. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.